Welcome to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. All right, so, uh, wow. It's uh, pretty cool to be here tonight. It was about 14 years ago that Veritas started in this very room. Uh, So it's kind of cool to come back here 14 years-ish later uh, to be with you all here tonight. Uh, so as he said, my name is Ryan Wampler. I, I now uh, work with uh, small groups at The Crossing. I've done, you know, I worked with Veritas for about nine years and uh, that was tons of fun. And one of the reasons why I was so excited to uh, work with college students, why we started Veritas was because we believed that the decisions that you make during these years of your life are some of the ones that will set the trajectory for the rest of your life more than any other decisions that you make in your life. And so we think that this is a time in your life when it is perhaps most crucial to seek answers to the most important questions. And so I understand you've been going through a series called Hey Siri. Uh, And so uh, the topic that was given to me uh, that I guess you guys asked originally was something in the form of How do Christianity and politics go together? So it's ironic that that's what we're talking about tonight with the uh, primary elections occurring uh, today, Uh, but that's what happened. And so perhaps the timing is providential. Uh, So we'll be talking about how do these two things go together, Christianity and politics. Uh, And this is exciting because this year, for probably the majority of you in this room, will be your first presidential election of your life. So, which that's pretty cool. Uh, For me, this will be the eighth, um, which dates me probably a little bit uh, by just saying that. Uh, And so let me just say this, lots of presidential elections, lots of drama, lots of uh, saying how important all these elections are, Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, they are important. Uh, but your life will go on no matter what happens, okay? And uh, the world will go on. And, uh, but it is amazing how the rhetoric has increased over these last four years or so. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, every presidential election, you know, is every four years. And in between, in, in the two-year mark, they call it the midterm you know, election. When a lot of senators and House of Representatives, you know, people will be running for office, and it was actually just this last midterm, two years ago, that uh, people were so, you know, put so much pressure on the election. One was from a conservative magazine called Decision Magazine. It's conservative politically. Uh, it's, as a matter of fact, associated with the Billy Graham Association. And this was their cover, why this is the most important election of our lifetime. The election that happened two years ago, right? And, uh, but it's not just conservatives who put the pressure on elections. Uh, as a matter of fact, Mother Jones, which is a liberal magazine publication, said the very same thing two years ago, the most important election of our lives. Now, let me just say this. I don't think the election two years ago was probably the most important election of your lives. Uh, 
Uh, and nor do I think probably, most likely, this upcoming presidential election will be, but who knows? I don't even know how you'd measure that, right? I don't even know how you would know that this is the most important election of your life. Uh, it's, there's too many factors to even determine that, and yet people love to talk this way. There's so much pressure about politics, uh, and every election seems to be the most important one, and people are for, more polarized than they've been. You know, the Democrats have moved further left. The Republicans have moved further right. And everyone is demonizing people who are on the opposite sides. And we just keep getting our news sources now from the, the slants that we agree with. You know, so if we consider ourselves conservative, we probably listen to news sources and get our news from those that have a conservative slant or if we're liberal from the, you know, from the liberal slant. And what this does is it just makes you mad at the people who disagree with you, right? And so we've developed an outrage culture where you can't tweet anything political or you're going to have people outraged at you. You know, uh, it creates a fear culture where it, politics are, are so wrapped up in fear that if this happens, if this were to unfold, then it's gonna be a disaster. It's going to be terrible. Uh, the, the stakes get so high and... You know, it used to be when I was growing up, if I wanted to watch the news, I had to read the newspaper or I had to be at home so I could turn on the TV and turn the channel uh, to the news at either 5.30 or 10. I couldn't record it. Uh, you know, I had to be there to get the news. And now we have access to news immediately all day, every day. We have political news coming at us, political opinion coming at us all the time, constantly. So there's no escape from the political. And so it makes it seem like, every, you know, politics are not just every four years now, it's every day. Every moment of our life, there's something political that is happening. And uh, of course, uh, your generation is called uh, the, the generation of anxiety, right? Uh, and so you live in this culture where everything is high stakes. There's lots of pressure on everything. And so it's just easy in these political times to also carry a sense of anxiety. And this is because we put so much stake in it. Um, and this isn't the way it should be, right? This isn't the way that we should, as Christians, feel about politics, it's not the way that we should be responding in politics. And yet, there's lots of confusion about how Christians should respond to politics, how they should be involved in politics. And this goes back to very early on. Because in the beginning, Christians were a minority in the Roman Empire. And for several hundred years, they were persecuted. They were killed. It was unpopular to be a Christian. And your life was at risk if you were. You know, there was persecution on and off, regionally and throughout the Roman Empire at various points. And all that changed at one point in history when a certain Roman emperor in the early 4th century became a Christian, Constantine, right? He was the first emperor who became a Christian. And he made Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire. And so this made it safe for people to become Christians, to be Christians, but it also did something else, is it tied the church to the state. And so now church positions became political positions. So if you're a bishop or a priest, you had political power, not just religious influence. Now you had 
state influence. It wasn't necessarily Christian convictions that would drive you into it. Sometimes it was political desire, powerful, you know, desire for a platform, desire for influence that drove people into that. And this is what happens when the church becomes too tied to government, is it becomes confusing to know what's good for the empire, what's good for the kingdom of God, what's good for just me. Uh, and this is what has happened in, in many places throughout time and history. For example, the Church of England is tied to the government of the state, the Anglican Church, or in America, the Episcopalian Church. You know who the head of the Church of England is? It's the Queen or King of England. They're the head of the church. It is a political power that oversees the church uh, and what they believe and how they operate. And this has happened in many other countries, not just England. Uh, and it even happens in America in our politics. You know, in the 90s, there was this movement called the religious right of conservatives who believed that it was Christians' roles to, to take over positions of power in the government. And there was a lot of emphasis on that. But it's also emphasis of certain uh, more liberal leaning, uh, people who, who embrace a liberation theology uh, as Christians, who think that the goal is for people who are oppressed to take power over the oppressors. And that means getting governmental power and overthrowing uh, the, the current governmental uh, powers. You know, there's even churches today that will distribute voting cards about how you should vote on each issue and which candidate you should vote for, right? The churches get tied to government. And that's not, when churches get too closely tied to politics and to government, it's not a good thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus said this when he was being questioned by a governor in the Roman Empire. He said, Jesus said in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And so what we're told is, is that the earthly kingdom the earthly governments are not the same as the spiritual kingdom. It's not the same as the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Christ has come to start. And so when we get them too closely tied together, it's easy to get them confused, right? And this can have big effects. It can affect the mission of the church, you know, to reach more and more people, more and more different kinds of people. You know, there's people, it'll affect our ability for evangelism, to tell people about who Jesus is, because there's certain people, when a church becomes too closely tied to politics and they're a political issue or a political candidate, people go, well, I'm not that party, I'm not going to church there, or I don't, I, you know, it's the political issue, not what they think about Jesus that is keeping someone uh, from coming. It also affects the inside of the church. Because rather than a church being a place where walls are being broken down, where people who naturally disagree are learning to love and listen to one another, it becomes a place of homogeny where people have to have the same ideas in order to stick and be around there. Uh, so one response has been the Constantinian response to politics, which is the goal of the church is to get political power, to take over political power. But there's also been another response by Christians throughout the generations, what we'll call the Amish response, okay? And this one is, is that the spiritual has no connection to earthly uh, governments, earthly powers. Uh, and so, um, for example, even in the early church, there were certain people who believed to be holy, 
To really live for the kingdom of God means you have to run away and flee from society. Those were the desert monks, right? And they just went out to live in the desert and away from uh, human society and governments. And then in the Reformation, the time of the Reformation, we have uh, the Anabaptist movement. But today for us, that we, we know them as the Amish, the Mennonite communities. You can see them in, in the Missouri, in Northwest Missouri, there's a large Amish Mennonite community. Uh, and, you know, for them, it's even against church rules and doctrine to be a government official, to serve in the military, to be a police officer, because you should not be involved in government. The spiritual has nothing to do with the government. So they just set up their own societies and they govern themselves. Uh, and even uh, more recently, there was an evangelical named Shane Claiborne, and he wrote a book called Jesus for President. And it echoed a lot of these same kinds of things of we shouldn't care about the government of the world. We should be living uh, for something different. But I think what our response is to the Amish response is that even though the spiritual is not the same thing as the earthly, you know, the kingdom of God is not the same thing as human governments. The reality, though, is that the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom, is concerned about the earthly governments, about uh, human governments. And as a matter of fact, if we're going to live out Jesus' principles, there is no escape from the political. There's no way to escape. the. If we're going to live in society and we're going to live out Jesus' ideals, then it's going to have effects on how we think about Politics. See, if Jesus wants to shape and change how we live and think in all areas of our life, then that's going to even include our politics. There's a whole book of the Bible in the Old Testament, Esther, that is primarily about getting politically involved, the need to use political power wisely, the need to use political power for the sake of, of people who are at risk and who are in danger. Uh, it's a whole book about political action. Uh, you know, if we just take the command to love your neighbor, if we're going to really consider that command, there are going to be some things that are going to have to do with loving our neighbor that are going to have to deal with policies. They're going to have to deal with laws. There's a, a verse in the Old Testament, Micah 6, 8, that says this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So if we are going to do what God's will is, one of the things that he says here, it's to do justice, to act justly. You know, and so government is a part of what ways that we can be, bring justice into this world. And the New Testament urges us to be good citizens. For example, in Romans 13, six to seven, this is what it says. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You know, I, I, grew, I mean, there was a time where I heard from Christians that we shouldn't pay taxes because that was supporting the government. But that's going against the explicit command from Paul here in Romans that we should pay taxes. And it doesn't matter how those tax dollars are being used about whether or not we should pay taxes. It's not that we have no concern or care at all about how tax dollars are used. But Paul was giving taxes to the Roman Empire that was even, you know, 
persecuted Christians. So it's not, you know, whether the government is doing what we want them to do before we pay taxes. You know, that's part of our role in society. And we should honor and respect those in power. Now that is countercultural, right? Nowadays. Now, if there's one thing that we don't do is we don't respect and honor those in political power on either side of the equation. Uh, and, uh, and so the New Testament urges us to be good citizens. That, you know, and also even just taking the parable of the Good Samaritan. And just thinking about that, that there's a man who's robbed. There's a man who's beaten to the edge of his life and he's left along the side of the road. And who are the people who passed him? The religious people, a priest and a Levite. And we don't know all the reasons, you know, why they did. I mean, it's a parable. It doesn't even tell us. But, you know, perhaps it was the religious justification that the kingdom of God has nothing to do with caring for this man. But Jesus says the one who's actually living out the command was the Samaritan, who actually saw and cared about those who were abused by power. And so if we're going to live out God's kingdom principles in the places where he has us, that means we're going to be people who see and care about injustice that we see. We can't be indifferent to injustice. We have to care about right and wrong, just and unjust, if we're going to live for God's kingdom. Uh, And when we get power, if we're going to be faithful to Christ, we have to use the power differently than other people do. If we get influence, we have to use it differently. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 20, 25 to 28. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, be, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, so if we're going to follow Christ, we have got to use power wisely and also not for our own sake and our own gain, but in order to be a blessing to other people, to help others. That's what has to be our motivation. And so as a ministry, as Veritas, you should encourage each other to be involved in politics. But we also need to encourage each other and sharpen each other to be involved in politics in the right way. So what does that mean? So the point of what I'm urging here tonight is to be political, okay? But we're going to look at three things real quickly here. We're going to be political with the right priorities, with the right tone, and with the right emphasis, okay? So first, we're gonna be political with the right priorities, okay? So here's what I think is important. Uh, If we're gonna be living for the kingdom of God amidst an American government that we're called to be good citizens of, that we have to consider ourselves Christians first, we must care about Christ's kingdom first, And the spiritual must prioritize how we see and engage in the earthly. See, before I'm a Republican, before I'm a Democrat or Libertarian or a Socialist, before I'm an American, before I'm a Missourian, 
And, and even this, before I'm a Texan, right? If you're from Texas, right? I, I have to care more about Christ and his kingdom, right? Uh, that that has to be the first thing. And there's always a temptation to use the Bible or to use Jesus to justify my political alliances, to justify my political positions when that's not necessarily what they mean. See, you know, for example, you know, I said I've lived through several president, uh, presidential elections, several presidential terms, but it's been interesting to see contrast how people responded to Bill Clinton and how people have responded to Donald Trump. So I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, okay? I, you know, all those kinds of things. But one of the interesting things is when Bill Clinton had his scandal, when he had a sexual affair or perhaps sexually uh, abused uh, Monica Lewinsky while in office, right? Conservatives, Republicans were saying, your personal life matters. You have disqualified yourself from using political power and, and they started impeachment proceedings, which failed. There were Democrats who defended Bill Clinton and they said, who cares about your personal life? Your personal life doesn't matter. What matters is your policies and your government. That's his private life. What matters is your, your policies and how you govern. And so he shouldn't be impeached. What's interesting to me is how that is exactly flip-flopped with Donald Trump, all right? Republicans and conservatives are saying, you know, no, 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 your personal life doesn't matter. Donald Trump's moral failures don't matter. What matters is his policies. And Democrats are saying, no, 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 his, he has, uh, his personal life, his moral life has caused him uh, to be a failure and he should be removed from office. So again, I'm not commenting on who is right on either one, but what's fascinating to me is how the, the same people argue differently based upon who is in power. What's the, the trend? When the Republicans power, the Republicans thought, okay, it doesn't matter about your private life. You know, and when the Democrat was in power, the Democrats thought, oh, your private life doesn't matter. You should be removed. And so what we have to do is we have to care not about our political alliances. It just shows how we all can have a tendency to be blinded to what is actually right or wrong based upon who we have a tie to, who we have an alliance with, what party we think is in charge. And, and, and so we can use morality even as a political weapon. And that's a tendency that we all have. And yet our allegiance to Christ needs to, to trump these political alliances. I don't mean Donald Trump. It means to be higher uh, than our alliance to uh, uh, political alliances. And that means, you know, we have to be willing to be critical of even our own party alliances. And that means as well, if we're living for God's kingdom, then we have an open-handed concern about politics. It's not that we're not concerned about politics in the here and now, but there's an open-handedness that should come from knowing that God's kingdom transcends this world. That... Uh, that we're not always expecting this world to follow God's will and God's plan. And so we're not always expecting things to go the way that we think they should go because we're expecting new problems to keep coming up, that we're not gonna be able to create utopia this side of heaven where everything works. Where whatever party's in charge is gonna create new problems. Whatever president gets elected, it's not that they're gonna solve every problem. And so 
Christians should, should have a sense of calm that uh, it, it's not that it doesn't matter ultimately or, or currently, but it doesn't matter ultimately because God is still in control and God's will might be for our loss. It might be, you know, a, a downturn for American economy. It might be for our political party to lose, our political candidate to lose because we believe that God is work at work even in the failures and the hardships that occur in the world. So we can trust God with those things. And so we have to be political with the right priorities, with the kingdom of God uh, at our forefront. Secondly, though, we gotta be political with the right tone. You know, in this day and age when Twitter and Facebook you know, people can't express any political opinion without getting hate responses back, right? Uh, it's just the dialogue is completely unhealthy nowadays, right? Uh, and, and it shouldn't be that way with Christians. We should be the ones encouraging healthy dialogue. So I'm gonna put a couple pictures up here. I want you to just think about your immediate gut response, all right? Let's show the first one. Okay, immediate gut response. And then now go ahead and show the second one. And my guess is, right, that you have had an emotional response to at least one of those photos, maybe two. I don't know, right? And one, we probably have, perhaps have a positive one. That is the one we have a political alliance with and one we have a negative one. Or you might be just done with politics, either one. I don't know. But no matter what it is, the way Christians should view our opponents is that these are people created in the image of God. These are people that God has made. These are people that God knit together in their mother's womb that are special to him. These are people that are worthy of dignity and respect. And that is how Christians should respond to our political opponents. I mean, like I said before, we care about what is right and wrong. We care about what is just and unjust. And yet we should also have a humility about what we know. I can say this confidently. Nobody in here has the solution to the international economy, okay? <laughs> Nobody here knows all the things that we should do to, to solve all the health problems here in the United States, okay? And yet somehow we get candidates who promise they can solve all these problems, right? And then we get people who are expressing political opinions very confidently as if they know how to solve all the problems that are in the world, right? And as Christians, we should be humble. We should recognize that we don't know everything. Problems are complex. There should be a humility uh, about what we know and therefore a patience and a gentleness towards the people that we disagree with, that we're willing to listen to them, even though they might come from a different viewpoint. And here's the other hard part. As Christians, if we're going to be people who are going to be being political with the right tone, it means we don't get to use the same tools that other people do. We don't get to win the argument by uh, disrespecting the other person. We don't get to respond back to a personal attack with another personal attack. And, okay, I'll go this. I've told you I'm not political, right? I'm not telling you who to vote for. But just because this example is really fresh, I'll just say it. Uh, 
Donald Trump was being interviewed recently. Somebody was asking him, you know, well, can't you respond more nicely to people? And his response was, no, if somebody punches me, I've got to punch him back. And he said explicitly, you can't turn the other cheek. You've got to punch him back. And everyone cheered in the room. Uh, and so my point is, is, is maybe that's what you got to do to be president. I don't know. Maybe that's what you got to do to get political power. I can't answer that. But if we're going to be faithful to Christ, we can't use the same tools. We can't attack in the same way. We can't, we actually have to love and respect other people. Okay? And so Veritas can help each other talk about politics in healthy ways with the right tone. So, uh, and so maybe one time it might mean when someone is, you know, trash talking the president, it might mean saying something like, well, here's my conviction about how I talk about the president. You know, the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to respect the people in charge. You know, maybe that's something we say to each other. Or maybe we're just being patient with someone else's strong political opinions. But over time, we're trying to sharpen each other and soften each other and help each other have the right tone. And there's certainly a time to speak up and to stand up for what's right. And, and some of you have positions on campus, positions in the residential life, positions in your fraternity or sorority, where you get an opportunity to stand up for what's right, what is just, what is good. And you need to take advantage of those opportunities. And there's other times where we have to bear with other people, that we can show grace to people who don't think like we do. We can show grace to people who are our enemies. We can be at Veritas with people that we politically disagree with in small groups with people that we politically disagree with. And, and, and our hope, though, is that over time we can sharpen each other by listening to each other and respecting each other. So we're political with the right priorities, with the right tone, and lastly, with the right emphasis. And, and if we're going to be faithful to Christ and live for his kingdom, that means we have to care more about the gospel, more about the message of what Jesus has done and who he is for us, then we care about American prosperity. Then we care about our party being victorious. And here's the deal is that if we're going to be wise and how we, if we're going to be wise about what the right emphasis is, we have got to sometimes separate gospel issues from other issues. And that is not always an easy line to draw, okay? Because the gospel has implications for a lot of areas of life. And as I said, we should care about politics. These things matter because they matter to justice. And yet, I care more about someone coming to know Christ than I do about what political party they're in. And so there's some sort of priority of emphasis about what are the most important things. And the reality is, is that Christians, we know we have to have the right emphasis because government can only change so much. Why? Because the government can only enforce on an external level. You know, it can give you a ticket for driving over the speed limit, but it can't make you want to drive under the speed limit, Right? You know, it can't make you enjoy driving. You might like stop driving over the speed limit because you don't want to get a ticket, but it can't make you enjoy driving under the speed limit, right? Uh, and that is because the government can only enforce on an external level. And yet the gospel that Christians have access to is the most politically amazing thing that we have access to because it provides inner transformation. 
And that is the most political thing that we can do, is to live out goodness and justice in our everyday lives. That is the most radically political thing that we can do. And so while the world gets utopian about electing so-and-so into power, we're going we're gonna to bring in this awesome world when we elect this person to power, the biblical view is more complex, right? And in a certain sense, more beautiful, right? Is that it, it is, we're waiting for the full kingdom to come. And in the meantime, we're, we're trying to be wise about who we vote for. We're trying to be wise and working for justice, but we're also patiently waiting and longing for that full kingdom to come. It's not that policies and governments don't matter because they do. Good laws, good governing officials can bring a lot of good for other people. You know, a good policy can impact millions of people, but very few of us get the opportunity to make those policies. And some of you might get into, you know, public service or nonprofit advocacy or political office. And following Christ means to use that power well. But our world puts too much at stake on politics. There is an idolatry of politics, looking to politics to save us. And as Christians, we can and we should perhaps vote. But more importantly, we're political in being good and being just and being civil in our everyday lives. And the more faithfully we live for Christ, the better opportunity we get to be a light to the world in this politically divisive age. So let me pray for us as the worship team comes back. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just recognize that our hearts are so prone to just get caught up in the politics of this age in unhealthy ways. And so we pray that you would help us to live for your kingdom. Help us to live for the kingdom that you are building. Help us by doing that to give us the wisdom of how we can be just, how we can be good in America, in Missouri, in Columbia, at the University of Missouri, and in our everyday lives and the people that we're around. Help us to love goodness, to love justice, to love mercy. And by that, be the people who are building the kingdom that will last forever. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.